0: Okay, so hello everybody. Uh, uh, my name is Vikas Agrawal, I am the founder of AIF and PMS Express India. So firstly, I would like to thank all the participants, all the viewers for taking the time out joining the call today. It's absolutely a pleasure uh, you know, having all of you on the call today. Uh, so as you know that at AIF and PMS Express India, we run this show called Ask the Expert. So what is Ask the Expert? Ask the Expert is, is a show where we invite industry experts, we try and read their minds. We try and know what their institutional research uh, test talks about. We try and know, we try and read their minds and try and understand where the markets are headed. So therefore, you know, our objective is and me and my team now, we are, you know, uh, one of the largest digital platform in India. Our attempt is to build an ecosystem around so that we can create more value and add more value to our investors and share more knowledge and, you know, empower them. Uh, with more wisdom so the whole idea of organizing this show is to uh, sort of give you more insights about markets investing so that you create more wealth for yourself and to an extent we are uh, I would say that successful because we've got more than 1 lakh views on our YouTube channel called AIF and PMS Experts India we've got about 10,000 online users who come and extract the details of the product or the performance of various PMSs that we put up on our website called www.aifpms.com. So uh, with me today, I have two special guests, uh, Mr. Sachin Shah and Mr. Kashyap Javeri. Uh, uh, so gentlemen, first of all, uh, uh, thank you so much for taking the time out and uh, joining the call today. Thank you so thank much you. Vikas for giving us this platform. Yeah, thank yes, you.
1: yes, thank so, you Vikas.
0: Yeah. Thank you, Sasin. Thank you so much. And because
1: I must say, I must say, uh, you know, we've known each other for a while now, but uh, the the kind of the initiative that we've taken with this platform is amazing. And I really congratulate you for this. And obviously the proof of the pudding is there that you have got so many views. That means the the investor community is really loving it. So thank you so much on behalf of MK Investment Managers and all of us out here to have us. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much, uh, Sachin. It would have not been possible without the kind support from your organization and experts like you in and around the industry. So, so idea is basically, so, you know, uh, let me have the privilege of introducing uh, uh, both of you and then we'll uh, sort of start the session and, and come to the topic. So, Sachin brings about almost two decades of experience. I personally know him for more than a decade now, as I was telling him when I met him for the first time. And Sachin, uh, uh, you know, he's been uh, instrumental in terms of defining the entire investment philosophy at MK Investment Manager. So he played very, very important role and he was also part of the proprietary business where, you know, uh, the promoters are involved and he's kind of advisor to them in in terms of managing the overall fund. So so Sachin uh, 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 has been, uh, I would say that Sachin played very, very important role A and B. Uh, Sachin looks after the fund management aspect of entire M.K. Investment Manager. Uh, so, he's really contributed well to the organization. And we have also Kashyap Javeri. Kashyap uh, brings about more than a decade of experience. In fact, he was awarded as, as the best analyst for a BFSI segment uh, within the group in the institutional arm. So, Sachin, uh, you, know, you uh, and Kashyap uh, are working in sync with each other. And, trying to deliver the deliverables in the hand of investors. So before we come to uh, the topic, we wanted to know, as we know that is known for their institutional working and research uh, both. So can you take us through your organization first for the benefit of our viewers and then we'll come to the topic?
1: Sure. Uh, Thanks Vikas. So, you know, uh, basically MK Global Financial Services, which is our, uh, the group company, Uh, basically this was established almost 26 years back, uh, by two first generation entrepreneurs, Mr. Krishna Kumar Karva and Mr. Prakash Kacholia, both of them chartered accountants and they started this business, uh, as equity brokers. And of course, uh, at that point in time, they had focus on institutional equity broking, which was not a very common thing in those days. Uh, but they were very clear that that's the way forward. And because if you want to service. Uh, domestic mutual funds, uh, domestic insurance companies, domestic banks, foreign banks, proprietary desks, and also in those days, there were a few FIIs. Uh, The biggest value addition that you can do to them is your research. So MK as an organization has significantly in research over the last two and a half decades. And even at this point in time, I would say the backbone of the company is our research uh, so, so much that I would say that, you know, in the, on the institutional equity business today, probably we have one of the largest research team uh, with almost 30 to 35 research analysts uh, covering more than 250 companies across sectors. Uh, and that's why I would say that today our uh, equity broking business remains the, the core business of the group, both on the institutional equity side, and also on the, Uh, I would say the non-institutional side where our large focus is on the high net worth individuals and corporate clients. And I think on the institutional equity side, we have nearly four and a half percent market share for the domestic business, which is what maximum that one can do. I think the maximum that one can do is 5%. So we are almost there in that sense. So we are among the top uh, ranking with most of the domestic mutual funds, insurance companies, banks, and all of that. So that's done very well. And as an extension of this business over the last, I would say a decade. Uh, the group started focusing with, you know, uh, capitalizing on this uh, strength of research. We also started basically uh, extending the businesses to say, maybe commodities broking, forex broking. Uh, Then of course, uh, about two, three years back, we also started MK Wealth. Uh, But a natural extension actually to research is, you know, the fund management, right? And which is where I and Kashyap come from, which is where MK Investment Managers is. Uh, which is the 100% subsidiary of MK Global, and MK Investment Managers is essentially the asset management arm of MK Global. And uh, from that perspective, I would say that uh, uh, you know we have we have we have a SEBI registered uh, portfolio manager, we have an EIF license. Uh, yeah so and we you know we are a team of almost uh, just mk investment managers we are a team of almost uh, now 15 people of which five to six five to six of us are on the fund management and the research side so that's the brief uh, snapshot of our group Sure,
0: thank you so much sir. so the following question is for kashyap now so kashyap having worked with uh, with the mk institutional research uh, business for about almost 6 7 long years and then moving from almost about eight actually almost about eight and then moving from institutional arm to to the LC arm so how has been your experience uh, if you could share
2: so uh, you know just to highlight here it's it's (laughs) I think it's coincidental I actually joined and uh, you know uh, moved out of the institutional desk actually on the same day just a gap of about eight years but it exactly was the same day when i you know when i joined there and, and and when i when i and when i uh, you know sort of moved away from institutional research to fund management uh you know i would say uh, the experience had been amazing uh you know mk as uh, or rather mk global financial services as a, as a as a platform uh we have been actually sort of a uh you know launchpad uh you know or, or the teachers for a lot of fund managers that you see today in the industry uh you know m- many of them have successful. So you pick up any of the, you know, the top five or top six, you know, AMCs and uh, the fund managers there, many of would have actually come from, uh, you know, having worked at MK. So uh, like I said, it's been a a great platform, um, you know, amazing learning experience. Uh, Fortunately, we have had, uh, you know, one of the best, uh, you know, CEOs or, you know, head of research uh, you know, in in our organization, and that's been you know a hiring strength of of uh, you know MK top management, uh, which provided uh, me with a great learning experience. And over the eight years, uh, you know, have been fortunate enough to get rated by a lot of domestic mutual funds and uh, and insurance companies. And of course, uh, exposure to global geographies, like Sachin said, is is you know just
0: icing on the cake. So within the organization, Kashyap, you were rated as the best analyst for DFSI. Why you managed to look after India? <laughs> in- so I, in- I don't
2: know who told you that. I I
0: I think somebody is you know
2: leading you on on that front. Uh, because if you look at last 15 years, I was the guy who had you know almost half of that period, right? So <laughs> in that sense, I have a privilege of being the best amongst you know uh, probably just about three or four guys who have been there, but. Uh, like I said, you know it's it's not just about uh, you know banking and financial services, but there is a significant um, uh, i would say symbiotic relationship between bfsi segment and the economics as as a whole. And since my college days, somehow economics has been something which is uh, you know which is which has driven me a lot. and you know usually if you if you find my reading, uh, you know, I would usually re- read. Uh, you know anything which is non-fiction, history in economics, in monetary policy, uh, and uh, you know probably the history of banking across various uh, you know geographies across the world. And you you pick and choose you know experiences from here and there, and try to correlate uh, with, it, it with the uh, you know what's happening, uh, and that's how you drive it. Like for example, we had our first report on Indian banking, uh, you know way back in 2011. Uh, because what we saw was you know similar trends with what had happened globally in terms of capitalization of the banks and uh, you know the trends that we saw in terms of restructuring in terms of provisioning and the consequent impact it would have on the capitalization of most of the psu banks in this country and we thought that you know as a country both in terms of economy as well as in terms of banking because like i said it's it's more symbiotic relationship between the two uh we probably will have uh, you know one of the you know one of the i would say Lesser good time, if I were to put it in that fashion, uh, for banking, and you know, probably for almost about eight years, that call went, uh, you know, to the to the T, uh, correct? Uh, you know, we have been fortunate in that sense.
0: So before I go to Sachin uh, Kashyap, so you know, as you rightly mentioned, that banking <coughs> <a> financial <coughs> plays very very important role when the economy is growing, especially in the emerging markets, because they are the ones who are actually fueling it. So, so, going ahead, uh, looking at uh, value migration from physical assets to financial assets, what are your views on banking and financial for next 10 years, I would say, and not a year or two years?
2: Right. So, because, you know, I would just want to point out a couple of things over here. And, uh, you know, things which are reminiscent, you know, I keep saying this in our client meetings also, that in terms of banking, I find a lot of things which are reminiscent of the period of 2000 to 2003. And in between that period, if you recall what had happened, that there were significant treasury gains which happened with Indian banks. Point number two: uh, If you look at most of the PSU banks, you know there were slews of IPOs or you know follow public offers from the companies which were already listed on the exchanges like uh, you know uh, Bank of India and and uh, SBI and slew of IPOs from companies like Allahabad Bank, Corporation Bank, Central Bank of India, and across the board. Um, <coughs> Consequently, what they did between that period was to clean up their balance sheets and you know uh, you know sort of uh, come back to support the economic growth in a very strong fashion. Uh, and around the same time, if you look at when that happened, there was a lot of bandwidth available with the banks to raise liabilities. Also, uh, if you look at last about three years, because there was so much of cleanup happening in the banks. Uh, in fact, banks even if they did want to, they were probably were not in in the best shape to you know raise deposits either. Right, because if I'm going to contract right. my balance sheet, uh, you know, to a greater extent, why would I go and raise deposits, you know, uh, in in a crazy fashion? Uh, I think that's something which is changing. Uh, in that sense, you know, whenever that happens, whenever you have a clean up, of balance sheet, you know, financial liabilities, uh, you know, coming back to the banking system. Uh, I mean, when I mean, I'm saying liability, liability from the point of view of bank, but from the saver's point of view, lot of assets moving into uh, you know, financials, uh, you know, segment. Uh, usually, what you see is a great run for banks over next about let's say five to seven years. Said that, I would also want to put a caveat over here: is that if you look at last about, you know, almost about 10 odd years, a lot of private banks have embraced technology like anything and it, it goes all the way up from HDOC bank to probably, you know, as small as, you know, Equitas, uh, you know, small finance banks, uh, small bank also. And which means our view is that, you know, uh, gradually what you will see is that uh, PSU banks, which have, you know, continued to lose a bit of a market share will last about, let's say, five to seven years probably they might still not get back into that you know market share gain mode uh, you know in, in near future i think these are the smaller private sector banks and uh, we have about two uh, you know one or two in our own portfolio uh, you know which will continue to gain market share uh, at the cost of some of these this, this uh, you know old generation uh, banks also i think in a sense i would say banking as a whole uh, for next 5 to 7 years because of this primary reason that you have a very cleaned up balance sheet uh, npls recognized provided or and you also have you know financial uh, assets which are getting back into the banking system uh, probably a good good time overall for banking system for at least next about 5 to 7 years and i think the other side will be also supported by the fact that consumption will also be on rise and that will also give rise to a capex you know cycle probably about 15 to 18 months from here in a bigger manner versus what we are seeing today
0: Okay, great. So one disclaimer here: uh, so whatever names uh, uh, you know, uh, which, which is taken by Kashyap uh, is just an right. example, and yes, uh, consult your uh, financial advisor <laughs> before you, you know, really think about investing in those companies. So coming to Sachin now, so Sachin, you know, as our honourable uh, uh, finance minister, uh, Madam talks about that, you know, what kashyap rightly mentioned that initial five six year, years were were uh, I mean the uh, BJP uh, is to clean up the entire system, and now uh, our honourable prime minister mm-hmm. talks about economy to become five trillion dollar by twenty twenty five. Do you think that number looks ambitious, or you think that it is achievable?
1: Uh see, because I think the important thing is to look at the direction, right, rather than the numbers. Numbers can actually surpass most of the people's expectations once we get the direction right. Okay. It's about getting out of the vicious cycle and getting into the virtuous cycle. Okay. And as Kashyap mentioned that, you know, we our base has got completely cleaned out. Okay. Uh, when you talk about banking system, it involves largely your economy in that sense. Right. Because all the large industries are part of that. Right. Uh, plus, if you see since 2009, 10, Till now, almost 10 years, we've not had any great capex cycle over this last 10 years. We have seen that the, there has been significant amount of balance sheet leaning uh, from many companies or many sectors, and particularly in the last two years of COVID, I think companies went overboard in terms of, uh, you know, uh, getting their balance sheets, right size. Right. So clearly there is, there is now room in the balance sheets to do a large capex over the next few years, there is a lot of seriousness from the government side to support this private CAPEX, right? say so things like PLI scheme are in that uh, direction. We are also seeing seriousness from the government side to do a lot of public CAPEX. Like for example, when you talk about a disinvestment, the 1,75,000 crore target with Erdia, then maybe LIC, uh, some IPO proceeds, or eventually BPCL and all of that. That 1,75,000, a large chunk will go in public capex. Or say, when we even look at higher collections, tax collections from the GST side, right? And eventually the direct tax, right? All this incremental number, the seriousness from the government is very clearly to go on the public capex side. Now, this was, this was one very big thing that was missing in the economy for the last few years. I think both pr- public and the private capex probably are now going in that direction over the next three, four, five years. So what I'm trying to say is that directionally we are clearly in that virtuous cycle of economic growth. okay? Plus when you look at the export side, right? this is what we, what I said is just about the internal side. But when I look at the external export side, clearly this China plus once uh, uh, actually is not just a theme. it is actually culminating now, right? I mean after I think almost six or seven years, I am seeing now exports showing a double digit value growth. Not only that, when you talk to so many companies and managements, everybody will tell you that they are not only getting RFQs higher and higher, but they are also getting now big orders. In fact, today morning, I was reading a report which said that the exports which are growing are largely coming from machinery exports. And it seems for the last three years, this machinery, machine tool guys, and some of the machinery exports that is happening, they were saying that because of certain uh, shift from the, uh, from the buyers in the global buyer side, from China to other countries, they are getting the benefit. The point I'm trying to make is that directionally we are there. We are in that virtuous cycle. And once we are, we are in that virtuous cycle, I think the most important thing is to figure out the primary trend. Right. And that definitely always, always I've seen in my last two, two and a half decades, it surpasses most of the people's uh, expectations, estimates, because you know you you uh, uh, we, once you are in that positive loop you know it gives you one feed the another and that's where the whole fun is so uh, we strongly believe that we are in that uh, zone now at this point in time a yeah, very
0: important aspect that you you know covered up is that you need to look at the composition of import and export and these machineries which are coming in so you cannot always say that it is a you know heavy import country but you we'll have to also look at, go to a deep dive, do a deep dive and look at what sort of machines are coming in and how does it going to help the economy you know, three years down the line. So on a broader view, when you look at import and export, you can say that there is not much of uh, work which is done when you look at only the data from a from view. But when you actually get into the details, then you realize that a lot of work is done, the government is focusing on PLI, etc. So two, two questions, uh, Sachin, one is that there is a ratio which is, uh, utilization level of, of the existing units. So uh, where do you think, where we are as, as uh, at this point of time, to overall utilization? And has there been any improvement in the last two years? One
1: and a half years to be very precise Sure, because so that's a great question. So there are two points, uh, the way to look at it is, one is the aggregate industry level utilizations for each industry by industry. And the second way to also look at it is, how are the top players within the industry doing? Right? Because that is where the large capex actually happens. Right Now, what has happened is that in a lot of industries, whether it is steel, whether it is cement, whether it is chemicals or textiles and all of this, there has been decent amount of consolidation also. So whatever was the market share, say, of the top five players, about, say, five years back, ten years back, today, those top five players command a significant higher market share in each industry. Right, whether it is cement, whether it is steel and all of that, and I mean, we have data points on that, the public domain. So the point is that these top five guys, their utilization levels okay, are significantly higher than the industry level utilizations. They all are above 80% or in that range. Even at an aggregate industry level, we are probably at about 70%. But we have to understand that in, when we look at aggregate, there are a lot of capacities which are not viable anymore because either they are obsolete technologies or because they have not been operational for a long period of time, you know, a lot of those things. So, but the Capex will actually be done by the top five or top 10 players. I'm talking about 60, 70% of the Capex. And that is what I was saying earlier also that this, this top 10, 15 players in each of these industries have now got their balance sheet very, very lean. Their utilizations are very decent. They are seeing demand both from the domestic and the export side. On the domestic side, if you look at rural and, uh, rural and urban both, we are seeing a decent amount of uptick. On the rural, we have seen a lot of uh, government-related uh, spending, which has really helped the rural side uh, be, be very very buoyant. Even the agriculture growth has been very strong. Plus the urbanisation theme, and on the uh, on the urban side also, okay, uh, we are seeing that uh, you know if you if you see the recent data in terms of the employment. If you see the in, uh, recent data in terms of the salary hikes that uh, the you know the companies have started giving, all of that is clearly leading that the income levels are rising, which effectively means that the demand will remain buoyant, and that is where the utilizations levels are going to get even better. Effectively, companies will have to do capex over a period of time. Yeah, sir, the other
0: question is about the economy. So you know, uh, Sachin, uh, we saw. 2002 to 2007 uh, bull run, where we saw that the corporate profits to GDP used to be as high as 7.1% to 7.3%, and we saw almost a decade of 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 und- suppressed earnings, I would say, uh, uh, coming down from 7% to 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, and gone to an extent of 1.9 or 2.1% during the COVID time. So almost 30 long years of suppressed earnings, where do you see, do you see those numbers are improving at this point of time A and B, do you foresee those, we're going to have the similar sort of uh, corporate profit to GDP ratio knowing the fact that the corporate uh, rate tax have been been cut now?
1: I, I think so. So as I said earlier also that directionally we are definitely there. It's just a question of how quickly. Uh, because as I said that we are out of the vicious cycle and we are getting into the virtuous cycle. So directionally, we are definitely there. We have to also understand, see, you made a very important point about you know, taxation rates being lower. And that definitely is going to help in terms of higher cash flows and you know higher profits and all of that. Because from a 35% to 25% is a significant savings. But I think there's another very important point to also think about is that actually COVID played a role of catalyst. Okay. And that catalyst was that because COVID happened, the companies, I mean, at least on the listed space, I can say for sure, because we've seen the numbers now for almost four to six quarters, that companies actually went on an overdrive in the first and the second quarter of you know uh, FI21 itself, where they really, really went on major cost efficiencies or cost cutting, if I can say so also, right? But in the right way. And that has really not only made their balance sheets lean, but they have also got their TNLs very, very lean. Now that has helped them getting a very, very huge operating leverage. And they all, they all actually, uh, you know, got their post structures thinking that the demand will be very subdued for a, for a significant period of time. And what actually happened is that the demand came back with a vengeance. I mean, it was like a unbelievable, unanticipated kind of a comeback in terms of demand. So they got the top line. They had their uh, cost structures very, very lean, so they got a decent amount of operating leverage and then obviously lower taxation. So all this is really helping the profitability of the companies going significantly higher. And if you see this, the proof of the pudding is because if you see a lot of companies, in for, we've had a decent amount of cost inflation, particularly the, the commodity side inflation, almost there for now two or three quarters, and yet most of the companies. They may have some suppression on their gross margins, but their operating margins have remained very, very stable or got actually better in many cases. That itself says that their cost structures, whatever is under their control, they got it so right. And then of course, benefits of taxation and also the, the, as I said, the balance sheets becoming lean, the working capital is becoming much more efficient, has also helped them on the interest cost, not only by lower debt, but also lower interest rates now. So even that macro has helped. So all of this is clearly leading us to say that the corporate profit growth is going to probably we have entered that multi-year earnings growth over the next three to five years. And which really corroborates with what even Kashyap was mentioning that the banking as a sector, you know, clearly we are seeing, you know, basically it's the animal spirits will now just come out because that's where the loan book growth will come, which is where again, uh, you know, and again with quality of assets this time.
0: So Sachin, uh, as an investment, and this question is for both of you, any one of you can answer. And so as an investment manager, do you guys follow some kind of uh, defined investment or philosophy or because markets are changing so dynamically or very fast, rapidly, so or you keep changing it or how, how do you select stocks? So that's something we wanted to know.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And uh, so that's our secret sauce. But anyways, can talk about it. So uh, uh, what, what I see, what basically, you know, there, there are two ways of doing it. So one is that by way of law of elimination. So we decided what we don't want to do. So that takes care of a lot of our challenges, you know, once, because the challenges don't come when you invest challenges is after investing, like as they say, in the, in the banking, it's never about the loan growth. It's about how you, how you manage the asset after giving the loan right so same thing in the investment side right so by law of elimination is one way of doing it and we have a lot of processes that we actually follow that's one part and the second is of course uh, you know there are certain things that we we revolve only around that okay so our investment philosophy we would have certain tenets or i would say uh, you know there are six or seven tenets as we call it uh that is something what we follow around it. In fact, because if you don't mind, I'll share a screen because it will help the viewers to relate to what I am saying much easily. Please. Yeah, uh, just just give me a second, and it will be much better. Sure. Please take your
0: time. So, one announcement from my side. In the meantime, uh, any of the participants, if you have any questions, please type in your questions in Q and A box.
1: Thank you. Sure. So, uh, this is what I was trying to say Vikas, that, you know, first and foremost that we are, we are, we are, we are genuinely long term guys, okay, we don't try to do any opportunity kind of trades. we don't try to do any event kind of trades or, you know, short term, anything, those kind of things, we are very clear that we are investing for the, for the real reason is for the game of compounding, as Einstein mentioned, the eighth wonder of the world. Is the game of compounding. And we we are very clear that is the that is the real fun of equity investing. And that is what our uh, goal is. And to do that, we clearly have to be you know invested in businesses for a longer period of time. Because if we keep on churning, then obviously we are cutting the compounding to happen, right? And when I when I say that, let me back up that with some data points, right? Uh see in the last 10 years that we've been managing our PMS over here, uh, whatever profits that we would have booked. More than 90 to 95% are long-term capital gains, which means we would have owned all these shares for more than one year. Second, our portfolio turnover ratios are significantly lower at about under 20%, versus I think the industry benchmark of mutual fund at about 70-80%. Third, and which is I think the most important point to my mind, my current portfolio for the for the MK Capital Builder, our flagship product, which we've been managing for almost 10 years now, or nine, yeah, almost nine to ten years. you know, the current portfolio, nearly 50% of the portfolio has more than a five year vintage. 40% of the portfolio is actually probably seven to eight year vintage. So, you know, you can really relate to what I'm trying to say. These are stocks that what we own today, we've been owning this for now, five, six, seven, eight years. So truly we want to have that compounding game. And because we want to do this compounding, It is even more pertinent that we do a lot of conviction. We have, we have a lot of conviction by our own research, right? So we do a lot of homework before we invest. uh, And this is, this is completely independently done by us uh, unless, uh, you know, uh, and, and there are, there are a lot of processes that we follow to do this research. In fact, I will share one of the processes with you. And, and in fact, I'll just say that one of the big processes is in terms of focusing on the management. Uh, you know, we have we, we have realized over the last 10 years itself, I would say even earlier, but in the last 10 years, even more pronounced, that uh, of our successful investments versus not so successful investments within our own portfolio, the big, big differentiator is, is actually the management quality. It is the management which makes it or breaks it for the wealth creation of the minority shareholders. And we have a we have our own proprietary module called equal, uh, which is what we are extremely focused about. In fact, I'll share one of the processes on that, uh, but other important part of our portfolio construct is that we are also very, very focused portfolio, right? So we generally have about 20 odd stocks, 18 to 22 is our sweet spot. We don't try to overly diversify. And of course we have our allocation disciplines in place so that no single stock can have a you know significant impact or in terms of if it goes wrong then we don't lose our shirt right and then as i said earlier that by law of, by way of elimination we have we try to see make sure that we avoid mistakes we strongly believe uh, you know to reach our goal it's not about hitting a six but it's about avoiding mistakes uh, that is what we are very much focused about uh, the other as i was talking about See, this is one of our processes, uh, which is the equal, which is a proprietary module that I was talking about. Uh, and we are very much focused on this management integrity, management capability, wealth distribution to minority shareholders, investor and liquidity. Now, management quality itself is a very subjective thing, right? Like I and Kashyap would go and meet a management, uh, management will talk everything that is music to our ears. We will come out and I will tell Kashyav, oh, this is a great, this is superb. They will, they are talking great and it will all happen. Superb. And Kasha will say all oh, bullshit. Look at the data points uh, and look at the stuff. So, you know, so it is, it is very important to figure out that is the really, is the management really walking the talk, right? And for that, we said, can we convert this subjective exercise into an objective exercise? right and we have been following this for more than a decade and uh, i i can say that because of this one process uh, we are very proud to say that over the last 10 years we've not had even one single business which we feel embarrassed about as far as selection of that business where there has been any corporate governance challenges right in the last 10 years there have been at least i would say 70 80 100 companies uh, where there has been serious corporate governance challenges and there has been almost 95% of wealth destruction for minority shareholders, right? We've not had a single company, whether we own it today or not, even if we've owned it at some point in time, but there has been no single challenge with corporate governance because of this one process. And in fact, because we've had this experience, we felt confident. And that's why we launched a book on this, uh, which was, uh, you know, inaugurated by our patron, Mr. Gurchar and Das, uh, so, this is, this is how we actually approach our entire uh, investment philosophy.
0: <clears throat> uh, great. So, a great insight, uh, uh, Sachin. So, uh, Sachin, uh, we'll come to the topic now. And the uh, you know, uh, topic clearly says that one, what sort of approach one should follow. So, uh, can you now give us uh,
1: insights about our topic, uh, which we talks about quality? Yes. So, uh, so I have one, uh, okay. Let me just start with just one important, uh, thing, you know, so our topic is about why, why quality is right now more important, uh, than valuations. So I think, uh, more so now, but otherwise always, because see, this is what, uh, as Mr. Buffett says that only when the tide goes out, you do, you discover who's been swimming naked. Right. So this is something what really, uh, uh, is really at the top of our mind always right see because you have to understand that today markets are not cheap okay uh, one can always say that there are few stocks which may are not very expensive there is a lot of growth out away uh, you know uh, in the next few years and all of that but whether we like it or not the fact of the life is that today the valuations are definitely building in some growth uh, for the next two to three years right? now god forbid but for some reason could be some macro reason or whatever it could be right for some reason if the growth gets postponed by say one year two years at that point in time it's the quality of your uh, business quality of your management which will show a lot of resilience for you to tide that wave and come back very strongly right uh, uh, kashyap will you know back this up with some of the data points also but you know i'll just add one more point that uh, You know, quality also means that your earnings growth is going to be strong over the next two, three years. It is the quality companies over compounding, you know, and we just spoke that we are generally looking at, you know, three, five, seven years. When we talk about those periods, it is the quality companies which actually deliver compounded growth, right? There are few companies which will have a spot of growth about one year, then again, they will, you know, there's a lot of volatility or unpredictability in their numbers. But it is the quality companies which actually deliver compounding growth so you know that is where quality really matters uh, because right now as a market overall if you're buying something nothing is cheap right it may not be overly expensive but it's definitely fairly priced to maybe marginally overpriced right but it is the earnings growth which will allow you to tide this over the next 3 years and that's why and that that will only come in quality Right, uh, Kashyap, would you like to add some with some of the research that we have done? So, if
0: anybody
1: has any
2: question, please type in your questions yeah, in a box. Yeah, Kashyap. Yeah, sure. Uh, so, you know what we have tried to show over here is that uh, you know for basically 200 uh, you know index uh, over last let's say 10 or uh, you know 12 odd years how the returns are. quality and non quality based on you know parameters like roe debt to equity earnings growth and so on and so forth and if you look at the year 2009 uh, you know which was a black swan event you know the global financial crisis hit uh, you know every financial market across the world you know pretty hard and uh, if you look at the same period uh, you know the 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 bse 200 returns in that particular year were minus 40% uh, now here the docker uh, you know the returns which are explained by the quality stocks, and amber color is the returns which are explained by the non-quality stocks. Uh, if you look at the n plus one year, which is FY two thousand ten, uh, which was the first year after the Black Swan crisis, uh, you know the amber color bar is actually larger than the uh, you know the 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 gray shade uh, you know bar. Uh, primarily, what it shows is that in the first year post the global uh, any Black Swan event, and that would include uh, even COVID for that matter. If you look at the last bar in that particular chart, a fair bit of you know uh, uh, returns in the indices would be explained by low quality, high beta, uh, you know, commodity metal kind of stocks. Because of course, in the previous year, which is the Black Swan event, they would be the most beaten down the stocks also, right? Because of the inherent nature. Uh, of of those those names. but if you look at each of the years post that which is fi 11, FI 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, up to all the way up to 2009, the qualified names, which are the darker gray shade you know bars actually explain the larger part of the returns. Uh, in fact 2013 uh, was the year uh, you know when uh, we had this you know the whole runaway inflation. Uh, somewhere around, uh, you know, middle of uh, calendar year 2013, we also had uh, a very sharp rise in the, um, you know, MSF rate and repo rate by the then governor, uh, you know, Mr. Reddy, and, you know, the market stand around that time, Uh, despite the fact that overall index had a minus 8% return in that particular year, uh, you know, the, the, the quality, the, the quality qualifiers, actually returned a minor positive you know uh, return even in that particular year which means that you know when sachin highlighted that god forbid i mean keeping our fingers crossed i mean everything looks great at this point of time and uh, you know if i look at any of the economic parameter to me looks like you know we are uh, in the same you know uh, uh, shape at the start of 2002 2003 uh, god forbid anything goes wrong uh, you know these are the stocks which will uh, you know support your portfolio in terms of returns uh the first year might be a painful return because uh when that kind of black swan event happens uh you know everything runs right, right. you know you have commodity which will go up you have metals which will go up you have a high beta stocks which will go up uh, in that particular year but eventually you will have to separate you know uh, uh, men from the boys and 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 that's where it will it will happen uh also, to say that you know, in 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 the in in his remarks, uh, Sachin highlighted about uh, you know how valuations don't look cheap anymore, right? Because they are pricing in certain kind of growth, which is expected by the market. Uh, you know, God forbid that doesn't happen. We are plus or minus here and there. We might actually get delayed by year or also, also because you know there is a lot of geopolitical uncertainty also around. Uh, you know, at this point of time, uh, you need to have this. Which will sustain you for not one year, two year, but probably probably for ne- next eight to ten years, like it did between two thousand eleven to two thousand nineteen. Uh, having said that, Sachin also highlighted a bit about you know how valuations have run up. Uh, but if you look at today, uh, you know if you look at broader markets, yes, you may find that you know valuations have uh, you know run up quite a lot. So if you look at you know probably valuations of BSC midcap index, which is a slightly larger share, you know set of uh, you know midcap companies. It may have seemed like, you know, they, it's run up quite a bit and the valuations are quite stretched. Uh, but if you look at, you know, midcap select index, which is a set of just about 50 quality midcap stocks, uh, you know, the valuation premium of those stocks over BSE 30 is not yet back to 2016 highs. In fact, uh, versus a premium, then if you look at the left-hand chart, uh, you know, at the bottom, we are still at a discount as of, you know, last week, right? So within your bits and, you know, pockets, you will find definitely investment opportunities. Quality, uh, you know, it's still there. Are, there is there will be still, uh, you know, a lot of quality which will be available at the right price even at this point of time. You just have to spot that particular soft, you know, uh, soft spot for yourself and and invest in that. Uh, if you look at even BSE small cap index, you know, a select small cap index which is an index of just about fifty stocks and not, uh, you know, a very broad small cap index which includes two fifty stocks or even broader small cap index which includes probably you know seven eight hundred trust kind of stocks. Uh, you know the premium is still not back to where we were in 2016. Uh, you know at the at the peak side. So uh, having you know probably uh, highlighted the risk today in investing in the non-quality part. I think there is there is you know a lot of quality which is still available at the right price. Uh, you know in today's markets and and that's what an investor has
0: to look at. Great, great, great insight. So uh, now my next question is Sachin. So uh, you know we we are a data-driven organization. And I was just looking at. Data points, the performance. While performance is an outcome you don't have control over it, but particularly I saw that uh, your uh, big which is James, was, I saw a good amount of uh, bounce back and other outperformance. So anything that you've done in that area, or it is by by design?
1: <laughs> so <laughs> because actually, as, as you rightly said, that uh, what is under our control is only the process. Right? And the output is a function of that process, actually. And sometimes uh, you have bad lucks, right? Uh, but bad luck, if your process is right, bad lucks don't la- last long, right? And if your, if your process is wrong, then even your good luck doesn't last long. So, you know, as, as when somebody very nicely put me, that uh, when you are doing good, it's important to ask that why you are doing good. Right? So that is where you should really ask that, is it by process or is it just by good luck? right? And if you're doing bad, same thing that is it just a bad luck or is it your process? So my point is that we we have, we have been very, very diligent about our processes, right. Uh, we strongly believe that uh, the the business compounding actually typically clicks uh, you know kicks in over a period of time and within the stock prices also. Uh in fact, I, I'll just share one more screen. See, we, we you know, as I said, when we do this law of elimination, so as a part of our uh what you call the, the equal, we have this one another interesting uh process that we have. So, you know, we generally say that as I said, this by law of elimination, right? So companies where promoter holdings are pledged above 70%, or where the debt restructuring is done more than one time, or debt equity is more than you know, two and a half times or say even, uh, where, uh, where there's a large acquisition, what is a large acquisition is more than 50% of the network. So we don't invest for at least one year. And then after that, we, we, we typically try to figure out is the acquisition playing out the way it was anticipated because eight out of 10 acquisitions haven't played out the way they were, you know, so, you know, this kind of processes, uh, of course, then looking at the, the business opportunities and the track record and all of that has really helped us in terms of, uh, you know, m- keeping the, keeping the, I would say the preservation of capital and yet we growing it fairly well over a longer period of time. Uh, of course, there are, there are also times when there are tailwinds in the economy and certain businesses uh, really play out much better, particularly in the mid cap and the small cap segment. And that is what probably has helped us. As I said that in the last uh, four to six quarters, because if you remember, 2018 and 2019 uh, were really bad years for economic growth, uh, particularly the calendar year 2019 when the government spending went down uh, and the overall economy actually, uh, you know, well, there was a slowdown, but it was much worse than most of us actually anticipated. And that is where some of the mid caps and the small caps had a really tough time uh, because there were headwinds. Uh, but in the last four to six quarters, COVID first of all played a role of catalyst because they all had their uh, cost structures very, very efficient. And then of course the tailwinds in terms of the, the demand side, uh, both on the domestic and the export side has really helped. So that is why I, w- I would like to believe that the, the, the portfolio returns have actually got significantly better uh, over the last uh, 12 to 18 months
2: yeah and and also because you know just to add to what sachin has uh, yeah. you know mentioned it's not just about you know uh, creating returns for the client right so process has to be in such a fashion that you are generating that return by also minimizing the risk you know risk for the client also so if you look at most of our portfolio the beta of that portfolio will be, you know anywhere between about 0.8 to about about you know 0.85 times so it's it's about maximizing that return with the given amount of risk that we are willing to take for our uh, or our clients are willing to take for themselves. Okay. So next question is: suppose you have hundred rupees now, and you have, or let's put it this way: So as a father of four daughters, you cannot really differentiate, you know, the elder daughter, to two male or ones,
0: male, or the younger one. So you have large cap, mid cap, small cap, and micro cap. And suppose you have hundred rupees, you and you as an organization run your large cap uh, PMs, your mid cap PMs, and your small cap PMs.
1: Where would you put this hundred rupees? Sorry, yeah. So Vikas, uh, it's a great question again, but you know, I, I I will first I will say something and then I'll directly answer your question. So, see, the first point is the most important thing. It it depends on every individual investor, okay? Because it is my individual profile which tells me how much where do I invest. Right. Because if I'm a 70-year-old guy, retired guy, and if this is a large part of my corpus, okay, or even 50% of my corpus, I cannot put in mid-caps and small caps because I should not try to earn that extra returns from mid-caps and small caps because I cannot take the volatility. Right. Uh, I cannot take the risk of losing a significant part of my capital and even notionally, I would say. Right. So it, it definitely depends on the profile of every investor. That's one. Second, having your asset allocations right at all points in time in that discipline fashion is something very, very critical. There is no second thought about it to my mind. Okay. Keeping all of this now in the background. Right. Yeah, so um, my question
0: is from a point of view of valuations at this point of
1: time. No, I appreciate. I, I was coming to that. So because I will tell you what. Uh, we we run as you know we run portfolios across segments right. We have a portfolio which is MK12 which is only the the investment universe's top 100 companies and we invest only in the top 12 companies right. We have a portfolio MK lead where the investment universe is top 250 companies and out of that we select 15 companies. So we have large and large mid caps. Then we have MK gems where the investment universe is only the 101 to 250 which is only mid caps and these are mainly large mid caps right. Uh, And we select only 20 coming out of this. Then we have MK Capital Builder, which is a multi-cap portfolio where the investment universe is top 500 to 600 companies. And then we have this, our AIF Series uh, 1, 2 and 3 MK Emerging Stars Fund, which we've been running for three and a half years. As you know, this is, this has also won some awards. Uh, And right now we have MK Emerging Stars Series 4 also open as you are, you have also participated. So I can say that, Uh, which is purely small caps, right? The point I'm trying to make here is that we have, we, we look at the whole spectrum when we are investing and that's why we are fairly hands on in looking at the valuations of large, mid and small, okay, across. So, you know, I was very clear almost, and this is on record because when we also had a similar kind of a call with our team MK Wealth almost uh, 18 months back or about, yeah, I think closer to 15 to 18 months back. And they asked me exactly the same question. And I went on record and saying that this is the time to actually bet on mid-caps and small caps. Okay, at that point. I mean, the re- my, my reason was very simple that majority of the mid-caps and small caps were trading significantly discount to their intrinsic values at that point. Significantly, irrespective of the growth. Vis- that time we didn't even have the growth visibility because it was the first two months of COVID. Right. So we didn't know how quickly we will bounce back as an economy, global economy, nothing but i said forget about all that the kind of the deep discounts that you have at that point in time was significantly higher right i can tell you that at this point in time okay the way we see it is within large cap there are pockets of certain stocks which have decent discounts to their intrinsic values okay they are not deep discounts, but a decent discount where you when i said decent discounts you can expect to make returns in the range of 15% plus sometimes even 20% plus in some of the stocks like to give you a classic example and again with no uh, with a uh, with a very very disclaimer like you saw icici bank the kind of the results that they delivered and how the stock reacted right so that's the kind of the gaps that we can find in some of the large caps also it's exactly the same way there are select pockets in mid caps and there are select pockets in small caps right but there is no one single where i can say today that today large caps are uh, you know better than mid caps or mid caps are better than small caps Within each of this, it's a very, very bottoms up and you will have to do your numbers and figure out where, where is the opportunity. So to my mind, when I look at, when we do our internal numbers, because we already have invested in about, I would think 50 or 60 odd companies across large caps, mid caps and small caps, small caps. and after every quarterly results, we revisit that with our new earnings forecast, right? What is my return expectations for each of these stocks from the current prices? right? And when I see that, I get a few stocks within large caps where I, where I don't see more than high single digit returns, but there are few stocks within large caps I see where we can expect 15% plus returns. Similarly, in small caps, there are a few stocks where I again expect only high single digit returns, but within the small caps there are certain stocks where I expect 20% plus returns or 25% over the next three years. Right, And that is why we have this, you know, MK Emerging Stars Fund Series 4 also running where we felt that there will be not, I mean, if not too many, but we just need 20 odd stocks where we believe that the earnings growth over the next three years will be very strong to the extent that the portfolio that we've designed right now with about, we've already invested 65% of the money. So we have about 13 odd stocks with those 13 stocks, our belief is that the earnings will actually double over the next three years. Right, the portfolio earnings will double. So what I'm trying to say is that there are there are pockets of opportunities in each of this and one will have to be selective.
0: Yeah, this is yeah. something <laughs> I want to uh, emphasize more on and in fact this is something I keep getting this question from a lot of investors. So at AIF and PMS Experts India what we have done is we have designed our own questionnaires Because it is very important to assess the, the, the risk appetite of any investor. Because I can, as a as an investment manager, if the mandate is given to you for for the equity, uh, obviously you would look forward for these sort of opportunities and deploy. You know, uh, but it is very important that asset allocation needs to be maintained, and that needs to be maintained at our level at a distribution house level, uh, where we sort of uh, uh, try and uh, understand the, the the risk appetite of the investor a. And based on that, we kind of recommend that within the house, okay, you you know, your risk, your conservative investor, because the aggregate score suggests that he's a conservative investor, then middle small cap is not meant for you. And I, sometimes my investors, sometimes they they get annoyed that I don't allow them to put money in middle small cap Uh, and they say that, you know, you are sort of compromising on the performance. I said, look, your risk capital does not allow me. so. You can't put a gun on my head and tell me to do what I'm supposed to do. So, so be. It. I mean, I as an advisor, I'll have to sort of protect the interest of our investor because when the market turns negative, we saw 2019 and 20 uh, when market fell down to the extent of 35, 40 percent. So, very interesting point. Thank you so much for sharing the insights. So, uh, if there is any question, then we can take it and uh, and then we'll sort of uh, conclude the question. Yeah, so while the questions are, some uh, investors might be typing the questions So in the meantime. uh, Sachin, so uh, where do you see, uh, you know, five years down the line, so there are people who are saying that, look, generally the the ratio between uh, your uh, uh, market cap to GDP, which is one is to one, has now gone up. And uh, so the one school of thought is, is that uh, there could be a possibility of two is to one, like your emer- developed economy and there are people who are saying that eventually even out. So what is your stance?
1: See Vikas, uh, important point is that, see, it is something like a market cap to GDP. If I have to draw an analogy, it is something like the P ratio that we are talking about. Right. Uh, I would say that if we look at the history, okay, if we look at the history, uh, market cap to GDP, uh is a very decent number, is, is a very decent number to talk about the macro direction of the markets, right? But so even if we assume that there may not be a re-rating in that, say it will remain at one 1.2 kind of thing, which has been the historical uh you know trends. The important thing is how fast will the GDP grow? Right? And that is where I was talking about the P ratio. Okay, let's not let's not. Uh, and by the way, this P/E ratio is a function of many macro indicators, and similarly, it will be for market cap to GDP because P/E ratio is also a function of the interest rates. When interest rates are nine percent and ten percent, and when interest rates are five percent, your P P-E ratios are very different because your bond yield is when it is to be ten percent, and today bond yield is five percent. Obviously, people are very happy to own a, a P ratio of twenty times because that itself is giving you earnings yield of five percent. And with the growth, whereas in bond deal you are getting five percent with no growth, right? But I think also the important thing, as I was saying, the important thing to focus is on the earnings growth, and that will take care of everything. So if the earnings are going to double, if the GDP is going to grow in you know double digits over the next five years, that will be the real uh, thing to be focusing on, and that is what something what we are very much optimistic about.
2: And. Uh, also, because you know, you also ought to look at the fact that if you look at last uh, you know, we had inflation which was completely missing. And uh, you know, if you are going to grow, uh, you know, real GDP at probably not even let's say eight percent, which we have seen historically, historically, but maybe let's say six and a half to, you know, probably on the high side, let's say seven and a half. Let's say a four, four and a half percent inflation itself means about eleven percent kind of nominal GDP growth, and. Uh, if you go by that rule of seventy-two, within six years, we could double from let's say two point seven to about five and a half trillion kind of economy. And then how would you look at you know market cap to GDP ratio? Let's say next about next about let's say three to five years. Uh, and that's the difference between let's say last about let's say seven years and and maybe next about five years. Okay, so
0: the first question is uh, how can we invest with MT Group? So yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Can... I'll answer that because one second I'll answer yeah, that. Yeah. I think the best is get in touch with Mr. Vikas Agarwal, AIF PMS, <laughs> he will help you out to come to MK. <laughs>
0: Excellent. Yeah, certainly. So We will certainly help you with all the data points and rationale that you need before investing. And uh, uh, at the same time, if you wish to speak to such at any point of time offline, we can arrange your call as well. Uh, so second question is, uh, what is the cost involved? Uh, so cost is something we will take it offline uh we will discuss uh, yeah,
1: because because we have options we have options on uh, only fixed management fees we have options on performance management fees we have one option of combination so depending on the profile of the investor because you can suggest them
0: yeah so it depends so there are a few investors who opt for fixed fixed charges fixed management fees there are investors who opt for variable, <laughs> so each one of them as an organization they have both the models even hybrid is available so we can uh, discuss in detail and I can give you more insights about how the cost is calculated. Alright, so if there are no more questions then uh, we will kind of conclude the call and take rest of the questions offline. So thank you so much uh, all the participants for joining in. Thank you Sachin and Kashyap for joining the call. appreciate you guys. Thank you so Thank much. you. Thank you. Thank you so much. You Kashyap and yeah. Thank
1: you all the participants for being with us. Thank you everyone. Thank Have you. a nice all evening. Thank you. Thank you. Bye.